Welcome to Surf and Turf. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Ferguson. This is part two of our two-part series on seafood donations in Rhode Island. In 2020, one in four people in Rhode Island did not have access to enough food. At the same time, in the early weeks and months of the pandemic, fishermen struggled to find buyers for their catch. Kate Majory joined us last week to share how her organization, Eating with the Ecosystem, developed a new supply chain to address these two problems, using grant money to buy seafood from local harvesters and deliver it as a donation to families in Providence, especially indigenous, immigrant, and refugee families, who not only disproportionately experience food insecurity, but who also prefer whole fresh fish and value the diverse species that are caught in local waters that don't always make it into local stores. This week, my guest is Alice Howard, Executive Director of Sunrise Forever Inc., one of the community-based organizations in Providence that partnered to distribute these seafood donations to the people who wanted them most. Alice is from Liberia, and her organization serves the Liberian community in Providence in many ways. Their work is, quote, driven by a passionate belief that we all have a responsibility as global citizens to be one another's keeper and to share whatever we have been blessed with. I speak with Alice about the importance of seafood in her culture, the value of the seafood donation program in her community, and her motivations for service. So uh, thank you, uh, Caroline, for this time. Uh, my name is Alice Howard. I am the founder and executive director of Sunrise Forever Incorporated. Um, this is a 501c3 organization, nonprofit organization registered in the state of Rhode Island. Thank so you I'm so happy much. to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for coming. So before we dive into more about Sunrise Forever and the great work that you're doing in Rhode Island, I would love to hear if there is a seafood dish that evokes a lot of memories for you personally. Hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. A seafood dish that evokes memories. Um, let me put it this way, right? Um, I was born and raised in Liberia, West Africa. My father was a teacher, a pastor, and a farmer. So we farmed every year. Now, he was from the Bassa tribe. That's one of the tribes in Liberia. The Bassa people are known to like and eat Domboy with um, pepper soup, spices soup. Now, Domboy is a cassava that's pounded, boiled cassava. You pound the cassava and make it into a beautiful bowl, right? Put it in a dish and cook this pepper soup. Now, in this pepper soup, you have fish of different kinds. You have shrimp. You have crab. You have all of the seafood. Spice it up with your seasoning, you add peppers, onions, and it, it boils, it cooks, it's well done. So pepper soup is served with the dumboy or the fufu soup. Now it's eaten for the most part, people eat it with their hand. Some people use spoon. You cut you cut a bowl, a piece of the dumboy and put it in the soup. And so you don't chew it, you swallow it. It's so, so good. So, yeah, so every time I say pepper soup, it invokes childhood memories. Now you have me thinking about my father. Oh. <laughs> so, so pepper soup. May his soul rest in peace. Yeah. 
Oh, that because sounds is the dish, seriously. That sounds so delicious. I think the more you know, different types of seafood you can put in a dish, the better. And it's so nice that it's uh, that it's bringing back memories for you. I think food does that for all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about Sunrise Forever and the community that you're working with as an organization. Thank you. So as I said earlier, we are a nonprofit, a 501c3 organization. So Sunrise Forever serves a wonderful, vibrant community. Um, we were presented with this opportunity to serve our people back in 2020 during COVID-19. So we started, uh, I think it was back in August 2020. We've done this every Saturday from the onset. 95% of our beneficiaries were Liberians. And then by word of mouth, we began to serve other community members who liked and need seafood. So now we serve everybody. Currently, we serve over 300 families and individuals on a weekly basis. We have new beneficiaries coming every week. Um, our number grew substantially when we were first broadcast on Channel 12 News back in, I think it was September 2021, during Hunger Elimination Month. And since then, every week we'll have new people coming in. And our team of volunteers, they are out there. The team is out there every week. We also have students from Johnson Wills University who volunteer weekly to assist us. So we are grateful for all of this and um, we are happy to serve our community. Well, you, you know, you say community and it does sound like it's really bringing people together that the seafood is maybe the starting point for what sounds like it's been really impactful for creating relationships between communities even within the, the local area. Absolutely. And it's also become a meeting point, a place of conversation. So it's all good. That's beautiful. So tell me a little bit about what challenges people face accessing food. I mean, you said you started during COVID and you've continued this work. So why is it that a, a donation program is so needed? So, um, yeah, we started... <laughs> It's, it's, it's funny. So we started right in my backyard. Well, it was just one case of fish. And now, like I said, we have grown. We serve over 300 families. So think about the tons of uh, the pounds that we serve every Saturday. So for the purpose of this subject matter, I would say um, access and affordability. We'll talk about challenges, right? Seafood, um, especially fish, is one of the main ingredients in our diet. And back in Liberia, West Africa, it is pretty much affordable. Why? Because we have the Atlantic Ocean right there. And in the rural areas, fishing is a hobby. We are so blessed. Uh, year round, people fish, people go to the uh, fish and go to the Atlantic Ocean. And, um, you know, so it's like they don't think about it, but it's just available and it's one of the main ingredients in the diet. Now, coming to Rhode Island, because people came, fled the war from Liberia for search of better life and safety. So coming to Rhode Island, seafood is here, but guess what? It's expensive. 
So a lot of people cannot afford, can I easily afford to buy it on a regular basis as they would love or like to, right? So affordability is a challenge and also access. People have to commute from point A to point C or D to buy seafood. I always say to everyone um, that everyone should have access to nutritional seed food, regardless of the zip code. Because think about it, food is a basic human need, right? It's a human right too. So if these things were made available as much as possible in every neighborhood, that would be a great service to our people. So um, that's what I can think of in terms of challenges and um, assessing the affordability. Yeah, thank you so much. And I think you really said something important there too, which is that food is a human right. And the fact that it's so difficult to access nutritious and local foods all over the U.S. is is a real challenge. And y'all are doing amazing work to address that. Um, I I wonder too, you're, you know, you say that seafood is this really important part of the food culture in Liberia and in West Africa. And I'm just curious if you find some of the same species or if people are trying out new species for the first time and using them in classic recipes. Well, a few new, a few, a few new ones, right? But a seafood consumption is not a new experience, especially for people from the West African region. Of course, we do have some landlocked countries, but uh, where we are from, the Atlantic Ocean is there. And like I said earlier, you know, it's it's available. So uh, the consumption is not a new experience. Seafood being one of the main ingredients, people are accustomed to eating seafood. It's healthy, and I think it reminds people of home. It is, it is culturally relevant. But, in you know, sometimes I tell them you have to be open-minded and try new things. But what we do get, um, for the most part, is something that um, they've eaten before and they know how to cook. And... Um, they are happy, and we are just happy that uh, we can be of service and to help our people in the community. That's wonderful. And, you know, I spoke with Kate at Eating with the Ecosystem, and she was saying that there's been this really cool exchange of learning how, you know, of the different communities coming together and learn f- from each other how to cook certain species or prepare certain species. And I, I, I love that, that it's an opportunity for people to come together and to exchange their their food practices and their food traditions with each other. Right. And so, a lot of that, too, is always good to learn something new. I also told them, listen, I think we need to open uh, a soup kitchen called the Taste of Africa or whatever it is and just exchange ideas, exchange some um Ingredients and you know, menu and see, recipe rather and see how we can you know share things. People from the Congo, people from Haiti, from Liberia, from other places can. It's the same kind of food, but the spice and the way it's cooked is different. But trust me, at the end of the day, is so good, very tasty. I love that idea. My um, my fiance is from Puerto Rico, and he talks about at school when he was growing up, they were supposed to bring a dish mm-hmm. that is from their culture. And he brought 
a dish from Puerto Rico and a student from Ghana brought a dish from Ghana and they were exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we are all human beings, you know, so. Yes. And because of the history of how people have moved around and been moved around, of course, there's a, there's so much shared tradition all over the world. And I think that's really cool to get to see too. Right. Right. So beyond just giving people access to seafood, what have the impacts been of the seafood donation program on the community? Oh, okay. That's a very great question. Thank you for that. So um, we so much appreciate this program because seafood is helping to provide protein. Seafood, as you are aware, is not only a good source of protein, but it also contains a range of important nutrients, including vitamins. So this is good for our health. And at the same time, this program with the uh, donation of the seed food, it is helping our people save some money. I'm so happy about that aspect of it because uh, to tell you the truth, times are hard, especially since um, COVID-19. Even people who are working, they are struggling to make ends meet. People struggle to meet other basic needs. And when they are hungry or must choose from the little money they have, that, that's a problem. So with this extra money, someone will save uh, once they get their seafood donation, right? And that extra can go towards something else, such as what well, medication, transportation, or even helping to pay up some debt. So this program is a great help. And our prayer is that it's going to be sustained long term. So all people have, you know, we have testimonies of people appreciating the program. They'll come up to me, Miss Howard, this is a great help. Listen, we save so much because when you go to the seafood market, it's so costly. I'm like, really? So, you know, I, it's a good feeling when you can just help somebody out. So this is a great help. This program is very, very impactful. It sounds like it. And, you know, that's something I really hadn't thought about is if people aren't spending money on this very expensive food that is so important to them and to their health, they actually, they get to spend that money on something else that's important to them. And I think that's that's great to highlight. Thank you. Right. So think about it. In our community, right, you have people who... It's not just you, your husband, or your wife, and the kids who also have extended family members. So people, like a lot of our people have what they call the sandwich generation. You take care of your family. You also take care of your parents. So you have parents out there. So it's a lot to bear. So you have to take the parents to the doctors, have to buy medication, just even yourself. So that extra money, like I said, and go a long way in helping to do other needs, to fulfill other needs. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then having a healthy body, right? Absolutely. Like a healthy diet helps yeah. you do all of those things too. So Alice, you know, I'm sure that this is just a mountain of, of work that you've put in these last few years. And I'm just curious what it is that motivates you to do this work. My father, my parents, especially my father, He's my inspiration. So growing up, in in addition to my biological siblings, right, we had not less than 10 other people in our compound. 
because my father was a teacher, a farmer, a pastor. So people from the neighborhood, the nearby villages brought the kids to our father to stay with us and go to school. So just to see, to, to give back or to help other people was planted years ago. So I feel um, no man is an island. Our father always told us to see the world through the eyes of the next person. So as a songwriter says, there's a song that says, if I can help somebody as I go along, then my living should not be in vain. So with that mindset, then I'll fast forward. I graduated college, uh, had a job with the United Nations Office for Project Services in Liberia as a program assistant then. And we were charged with helping communities, right? We did farm to market roads. We did water and sanitation projects. We rehabilitated schools. We uh, provided essentials, the, um, the benches, the chairs for kids to sit on. And I tell you this, at the end of every project, at the completion of the project, the townspeople, the villagers come around. You will see life, you will see the lights, you will see happiness, satisfaction in their faces. So that brought me so much joy. So for me, my background, right, growing up in a Christian home, it's like, what's the essence of life? If you can help somebody from A to B, that's a huge, huge difference. So just helping, just helping people out of poverty, of helping them if you can. That's what brings me to this um, to this um, business to help our community. So I fast forward where I came and did my grad studies at um, Clark University in Worcester. So at the end of the program, at the International Development and Social Change. So you have all of these bright ideas. You want to change your world. You want to do this. So I'm like, what can we do to help our people? You don't have to have the money. But you can network, you can use resources, you can tap in other areas just to help people. That's what makes life. So, I mean, it's just simple as that. That is beautiful. And, you know, your community is obviously benefiting so much from your work. I think those are words for all of us to live by. So thank you so much for sharing that inspiration, too. And, and I guess, you know, with that note, is there anything that our listeners can do to engage in this issue, to support the work that you're doing? Thank you for that question. So first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to our partners, our founders, because um, this work is in collaboration with the Commercial Fisheries Centers of Center of Rhode Island, eating with the ecosystem, the uh, Rhode Island Food Policy Council, and um, the Rhode Island Foundation, and other funders and partners. So just a thank you to them and. This program is so, so needed. It's so appreciated in our community and everybody to everybody because we have people from all walks of life coming but because they're in need of food, people are struggling. So we ask them to just support this program to all of those um, less lectures or people in power that will just want to do good. Just help this program to be... Uh, a long-term one that's going to continue helping our people. Thank you so much. And we'll put a link to your organization in the show notes for people who are interested in potentially donating or learning more about the work that you're doing. 
Is there anything else that you wanted to share while we have this time together that we we haven't touched on that I haven't asked you about? So, yes, yeah, Sunrise Forever, if I would just say a little more than uh, about what we do. Our website, www.sunriseforeverinc.org. Uh, the seafood program is great. Uh, it's a supplement. We are also, we've been in existence since 2016. So next month we are launching our youth mentorship program because um, we are on a mission to serve um, the entire human being. You feed the people, if you can clothe them or whatever you can do to make life easier, that's what Sunrise is all about. So we just want to say if you can um, hop on our website to see what we do, we appreciate that. Um, our viewers out there, you can come. We on the for now, we are at 321 VZ Street. This where we do the distribution. You come over and just grab a pound or two pounds or three pounds of fish and feed the family. I would just say thank you to all of the volunteers from Johnson Wills, my team, and um, commercial fishery centers, and every and you too. Thank you so much for this time. Oh, thank you so much, Alice, for spending this time with us. And thank you for all the great work that you do. We will definitely keep following the organization and, and look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. We appreciate the time. I'm so grateful to have Alice on the show. If you want to support the Seafood Donation Project or Sunrise Forever Inc.'s work more broadly, you can find links in the show notes. Next week, featuring Peleke Flores of Malama Hulea, an organization in Kauai working to restore the Alacoco fish pond. Peleke is working to solve the puzzle of how these ancient fish ponds work to support Hawaiian communities pre-colonization and how they can be restored as part of a whole food system in this era of American occupation of Hawaii. Meanwhile, we are also airing our special mini-series on the seafood processing battle that workers are currently fighting in New Bedford, one of the country's most important fishing ports. Last week, we aired our first ever Spanish language interview with labor organizer and human rights defender, Adrián Ventura. That interview was done by our special guest host, Liliana Sierra Castillo. That interview will be available in English next week. Later this week, look for my interview with Will Senot, investigative reporter at the New Bedford Light and ProPublica, covering the ongoing labor organizing, layoffs, federal investigations into retaliation, and worker response. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors at NOAA Fisheries and to the University of Maine for their support. Find us at www.surfandturfpodcast.com on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at surfandturfpodcast and follow me on Twitter at CEFerguson1. We'll see you next week. <laughs>